Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Allah Hunkins, a leadership expert who connects the science of high performance with the performing art of leadership. He has a gift for translating complex concepts from psychology, neuroscience, and organizational behavior into simple, practical tools that can be applied on the job. A lot. First of all, how'd I do on the name? You did awesome, Casey. <laughs> you did it's Atlanta. You're so good. I mean, yeah, it's a French name, let's say. Like we, we're in the United States right now. It's not the most common of names. I think you did. You hit it out of the park, Casey. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here with us today. And I, I love to start the show talking about connections because I think it's so important. And I think it's kind of a lost art sometimes that mm -hmm. people don't recognize the benefit of those connections. So how did we get connected? We got connected in a couple of different ways. Yeah. We met in a networking group that we both know, Berta Medina, who invited us to that. And then I was doing a podcast with Alyssa Carpenter, and I asked her, who else do you think I should talk to? And she said, you should talk to Casey Haston. And then we reconnected, like, wait, we, didn't, we know each other already. <laughs> no. so it was nice. The universe is saying, wow, it's, you know, this is a great thing. When the universe points you in the same direction from different people in different places, it's time to prick up your ears and take notice. So I, you, cle clearly, this was destined. Clearly. You know, I call that synchronicity because I do not believe there's any, there are any coincidences in the world. And I'll tell you some, one other thing that I do because you're absolutely right. When you start getting pushed in that direction, it's time for your intuition. It's time for you to really pay attention to what's going on. So every day, every night, I will uh, make a list of synchronicities that I've noticed during the day. That's super powerful. You realize that positive psychology would, when you're doing that, that pr probably evokes feelings of gratitude and maybe even awe and wonder, right? Yeah. So what a wonderful receptive way to end the day. I mean, again, if we think about the science of high performance, when people feel appreciative and grateful and have that sense of awe and also the sense of how things are happening and they're making progress, it's incredibly motivating. Absolutely. And that's another thing that I do both in the morning and at night is I write out my gratitudes. Awesome. I love to book in my day with gratitude. Um, so you are an expert in psychology and neuroscience, which I am fascinated by neuroscience. So how do those concepts really take a front seat when someone begins their job search? Um, I mean, and let me rephrase that. In other words, how does, how does the act of starting a job search impact your psychological mindset? Sure. I think even let's do some level setting because we talk neuroscience and people kind of freak out like, well, basically if you think about it is your brain has certain default settings mm -hmm. and they're going to make you respond in certain things. And when you're in certain situations, if those situations make you feel relaxed, you're going to respond appropriately. If they make you feel tense, you're going to respond appropriately. And that the brain has all been wired over tens of thousands of years of evolution to do this. Really simple. Well, not so simple, but simple enough to understand. So if we think about the job search, I mean, think about, you know, that's the what. 
But the question is, how do you approach that job search? Are you approaching this from a place of aspiration? Or are you approaching it from a place of desperation? Oh. Because those two things are going to create very different neural pathways in your brain. Like, oh, I need to, oh, I, I don't know. Like, oh, I'm not good for anything. Oh, like, and then suddenly you're going to start, there's a part of your, in your brain called the RAS or reticular activating system. And it's a fancy word, but I'll give you an example that brings this all to, to mind. I'd like you to think for the last time you bought a car. Think about the week before you bought that car, the week you bought your car, and the week after you bought your car. Did you happen to see a certain make and model of car on the road more than you'd ever seen it? Suddenly you see that car everywhere. Now, did the manufacturer just flood the market that week? No, it's because you're looking for it. So if we think about the job search, how you go into it is what you're going to start seeing. So this whole idea of, is it scarcity? Like, oh my gosh, am I in desperation? Or am I aspiring? Am I looking for a really good fit? What am I good for? And the other thing that can help you along with your the psychology of the neuroscience is actually your physiology. If you've ever heard of the idea of power moves actually, or neuro-linguistic programming, I know this is a lot of work. If you're familiar with Tony Robbins' work, he's built on NLP or neuro-linguistic programming is that basically if you put yourself in a more confident, receptive frame of mind, you kind of fake it till you make it, mm -hmm. right? So you're actually putting your body in these postures where you are much more likely to evoke certain emotions. And if you don't believe me, try this one at home. You're gonna look ridiculous, but don't worry, no one's watching. Just go ahead and, and you can do this with me right now, Casey. Just go ahead and smile, big. Okay, as big, big, big as you can, right, right? Okay, keep smiling, Casey. Keep smiling, keep smiling. Now tell me how depressed you are. Not a bit. You can't, and you know, and it's fake, but your body can't tell the right. difference between real and imagined, which is why it's so important for us to think about as we are going in for these interviews, what can we do to frame things in a way that are going to work for us? Because the first person we need to connect with a job interview is not the interviewer, it's ourselves. Oof. Who am I? Why am I here? Why do I deserve to be here? And finding those reasons so that when you show up, you are ready to go. That is, you know, I, I, I'm familiar with the RAS. I really am. I'm not even going to try to say it again. But, you know, in, but I never really thought about it from that perspective about how because I tell my candidates all the time when I'm working with them that you know nobody wants to hire, hire desperate don't go in there desperate but I didn't give them a tool like what you just gave them to not be desperate and just kind of piggybacking on what you said about the brain doesn't know if it's real or not um, I had a laughter coach come in and do a lunch and learn for my team and it was awesome because and again and it was really bonding for the team you know because we're all in there fake laughing but before you know it we're all real laughing and your mind is releasing all these endorphins because it doesn't know you're not really laughing it was amazing. so much fun yeah it's like pulling on the natural wisdom that the body has is an amazing resource for you to use absolutely and just one other thing related to the ras um and how i learned about it was from a speaker one time who actually had his damaged have you ever heard of that happening? I so no filter, more. no filter, all because that RAS filters out that information, shows you what you want to see, right? He was all those. I can't remember how many pieces of information we get a second. Isn't it like eighty? It's, it's a it's, lot. It's, it's a lot. I mean, it's like your computer brain processing like way more than your computer computer can. Right. So he's getting all that input with no filter. He said it about Sounds drove like, him crazy. 
sounds exhausting. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So another thing you talk about is, you know, not feeling attached to the outcome. And I'm, this is huge for me. So when preparing for an interview, why is it important to not be attached to the outcome? Well, if you think about an interview, it's a negotiation, right? You're basically, you have to remember, and what are you bringing to the table? I think a lot of people, again, if they're coming to this from the point of view of desperation, I need this job, all we're thinking of that is that this person is going to give me money. It's like, no, you're going to be giving them a huge amount of talent, resource, mm -hmm. time, effort, discretionary effort, motivation, good ideas, all your experience. What are you bringing to the table? And if you look at the rules of negotiation, part of it is, are you willing to walk away? Now, you may love it, but in the sense of that, you know, like you were saying before, Casey, is that no one, we can pick, we pick up on the vibe of other people. And so if we come in there like, I need this, I need this. You know, every time I've gone into a situation where I've been really needy, people pick up on that as opposed to, you know, I'm here to interview you as much as you're here to interview me. I'm here to explore and discuss because I'm a valuable resource. You know, it's funny because back in the day, pre-digital internet days, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have things like LinkedIn and Glassdoor. And so this era of transparency that we have has been hugely beneficial to the employees and applicants. Because if you look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, you know, the average tenure of a job of workers ages 25 to 34 is 2.8 years. It's right? So it's not like you're going to interview like, I hope I'm okay, I'm going to be here for life. Like I'm, you know, it's not like, you know, it's 2.8 years and realizing so job hopping is the new normal. So realizing if they can't make a really compelling reason for you to come. And then, of course, the next thing after that would be retention. How are they going to keep you there? Yep. Which is a whole other kettle of fish. <laughs> then you're going to be gone. And they now are starting people know this now so if you come in you got to realize look at you know here's a good way to frame this and I think this is true in any sort of job proposition whether you're a, a consultant looking for a job is nobody wants to work with a supplicant you want to come in as a peer right you are not groveling going oh would you please hire me Mr. Miss so-and-so I think you're so you know you know this isn't what this is about it's like you're a peer you have skills and you have the skills for the position that you're in. And so know that. And here's a, a really good thing. It's kind of ties to what you said before, Casey, about writing down your gratitudes mm -hmm. is before you go in, make a list of all the things you have accomplished in case you forget, you know, maybe you need to see them on paper or have someone remind you of, look at all the things that you have done and accomplished, including all the mistakes you have made and learned from, because that's all part of what you're doing too. So absolutely so i wanted to tell you something i think language is so important you know when we're talking about um you know the the working and the interviewing and all that kind of stuff and one of the things that i try very hard to say is you know i i encourage people to not go in and say when i work for you but when i work with you to put each so, other on that same level. So important. Language changes everything. And because language is how we process things because what ends up happening is we behave based on the stories that we tell. Yes. And the stories that we tell come from the words that we use. Another great example is the difference between I have to do this versus I get to do this. Oh, right? I was going to say different, that. How different is your day if you yep. say, I get to meet with Casey and do this podcast versus, oh, I have to record another podcast, right? I mean, just those little shifts make a huge difference in the stories that we tell, which creates different emotions, which creates different behavior. 
So if you want to change your life, change your words. Mm, that is powerful right there. You know, I never quite understood it, and I don't know why my mom knew this when I was growing up, but we were never allowed to say should. She's like, that's a guilt word. Don't use it. And so I was like, if I start to say should, I'm like, nope. Mom's going to get on to me, <laughs> you know? So I totally get that. Um, so going back to the interview, so when preparing or what are some strategies that candidates can use to make the interview process a positive experience for themselves and for the interviewers? Okay. So let's go to some basic things around human psychology and leadership. Now, when I'm saying leadership, I'm not saying that you're in a position or a title of mm -hmm. formal leadership. I'm talking about influence. Let's face it. You are trying to influence an outcome here. Yep. And that's what, that's a leadership skill. And so the first thing around influence is building a human to human connection. So realizing before you get into, this is the person who's got this title of this job, you know, director of operations, and you're coming in as operations manager, whatever, right? Titles, skip that for a second. You know, it's Alan Casey, person to person. So a couple things I want to do is look at, as I start the interview process, how do I build rapport with Casey, the human being? and looking for things. Now, here's a really cool thing that you can do really easily. All right, so I know I'm gonna be meeting with Casey Haston. I can go to her LinkedIn profile. I can learn a bit about her. I can see what the, on the internet, what, tra what digital trail Casey has left and start to notice what things she's interested in and actually take some notes. The other thing I can do is I can go, okay, Casey, Casey works at this company. Let me Google the company and do some research on mm -hmm. this. Then let me go to the page that's about us and look at the mission page and the vision and what we're all about. So this is what they're about. They have basically advertised what's important to them. A lot of companies actually share their core values on their website. So you know this, if you've done just a little, you can do this in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Then think about how do you and who you are, what you're about, how do you align with that? And where you're going in to create this personal connection with your interviewer, is instead of focusing it on me, 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 my agenda, well, I've done this and like, this isn't a proving contest. You don't have to show them. Instead, flip the agenda and build it around them. So you've already thought through how my skill, my talent, my experience, my resources can help you meet your needs, right? That's why they, that's why they posted the job in the first place. So the more you can speak in someone's language to help them understand how you can solve their problem, let's face it, people don't buy stuff. They buy stuff that they think is going to solve an issue. And opening a posting for a job, they have a need, they have a problem. I need an operations manager. I don't have one. So it's like buying, we can, in some ways we're a commodity. I mean, I hate to break it and make it that simple because it's not, but you get the basic premise of this is flip the agenda, figure out what their underlying need is, and then just be, hey, I'm a resource and let's explore. And then as you're exploring this and done it from their point of view and listening to them, then you've earned the right to start to talk about what some of your needs to make this work for you might be, but start by listening and seeking to understand their needs first. I, I think that's huge. And that's one of the things that I coach my candidates on is, you know, don't talk about money, don't talk about benefits, don't talk about, you know, you know what your work-life balance is gonna be because that makes it all about you. And it might lead to the impression that all you care about is money. All you care about is your time off, you know? So don't start there. And so many people do, it's crazy. And I'm just like, please don't do that, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, and you can hear it. I mean, I've had people come to me like, and I remember having colleagues where I was doing some freelance work for folks, and they say like, "Hey, you're working for so and so. How much do they pay? Or how's it like?" There's no, you know, and you can tell again if the words that we speak speak volumes of us. Mm -hmm. The priority in which we have the conversation, the first sentence versus the eighth sentence tells a lot. So you want to structure things in a way that you want to basically, if you think about this, it's a bit of a courtship, right? So you want to kind of ease into the relationship. And the fact is the money and the time off and stuff, yeah, they're important, but they're all negotiable and you can always walk away if it doesn't work. So at least find out what it is you're going to be doing. Because at the end of the day, you know, another 2% may not make a huge difference to you versus hearing what this is or, oh, I didn't know that, by the way, this job is 95% travel. Maybe that's a deal breaker for you. You want to get all that stuff out on the table first. And part of that, that's why we want to have the attitude of not being attached to the outcome. So we can really hear that stuff because otherwise we're so laser focused on, I hope I get it. Oh, I hope I get it. Right. That's the old from chorus line. So my, my musical theater background's coming <laughs> in. Anyway. So anyway, it's just something to consider as you're thinking through all this, how you want to focus your time and your attention during that interview. Well, and I'm just going to give a little plug for recruiters here, because if you're working through a recruiter, chances are that recruiter has done that deep dive for you and can give you those tips on what the company's looking for. And so you'll know those pain points ahead of time. Cause sometimes it's hard to find out those pain points if you're interviewing on your own, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. And you mentioned also that it's important to interview your interviewer. So why is that? Well, think about it, right? So, you know, if we don't interview the interviewer, our reality of the company that we're thinking about working for is pretty two-dimensional. And so it's by asking the interviewer some questions about what is it like here? What would I be doing? Getting into some detail and some depth, that's what gives two dimensions, three dimensions is depth. You need to know what you're getting yourself into. And also, if this is the person you'll be directly working with, you want to get a sense of their who they are, because otherwise, basically, you're walking in blind and then who knows what might happen. So you want to interview them. And again, you are interviewing them and you are interviewing them and the company as much as they are interviewing you. So what are the things that you really would like to know? And don't hold back from this. Again, we live in an age of so much more transparency than even 10 or 15 years ago. So it's okay to ask these questions around, you know, whatever it might be you want to know. So interview your interviewer for sure. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. So what kind of questions should candidates come prepared with for their interview? Um, it, I think it sort of depends on um, like, so for example, um, let's just talk about something as simple as talk to me about um, like we know that people are going to be working remotely. Talk to me about what remote work works looks like in your organization. Mm, Tell me about that. Yeah. So we're we talking about um, talking about expectations on how communication works. So for example, um, do you send out emails all hours of the day and night? And is there any expectations on when those are replied to? How is that working out? You know, in terms of that, what's the volume of emails and, and, and the expectations on returns? Because, you know, it's amazing. I work with lots of different people in a lot of industries. And, you know, a lot of people live in a world where because the company culture, they have created such crisis emergency mode. Mm -hmm. And you look at what they're doing. It's like, this doesn't really need to be an emergency. You know, we could all, this could wait till tomorrow. You know, look, you got to pick and choose those things. But trying to understand where they're coming from. So asking questions around that, um, asking questions around 
what are the opportunities for me to learn and grow? I saw a statistic, uh, a survey from LinkedIn recently. The number one reason people say they leave a job is their inability to learn and grow. So have those conversations. You know, as I do this or hey, okay, here's some milestones. So help me to walk me through what will this look like in the first three months? Mm -hmm. And what would be some milestones for me to achieve to be able to have new opportunities in terms of growth, whether that's promotion or salary. I mean, it depends on what's important to you. You know, so whatever is important to you, ask about that. What are the opportunities? If it's salary increases over time, what does that look like? Um, and, and why? What kind of milestones? You know, but always having these conversations pegged to the value that you provide. If you have that in the back of your mind, is that, look, as I continue to demonstrate more value, what are some other opportunities that will open up for me? And then again, you're approaching these interview conversations as a peer, as opposed to, oh, please, please pick me. I'm a commodity. And you want to be, because that's what's going to set you apart. Yeah. Where people see you as that, they're like, wow, we would be lucky to be working with them. That would be awesome. Absolutely. And, and I think all of what you just said is so important. Um, so you recently wrote an article, hold on, no, a few years ago, you wrote an article, it's called The 10 Things That Great Leaders Do on Their First Day. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you said to do was to put relationships before tasks. So why is it important to focus on those relationships first before the tasks? Well, if you think about it, I don't care what industry you work in, you could be in high tech or pharmaceuticals or telecommunications or retail. We're all in the people business. Mm -hmm. I mean, you everything gets done through people. And it turns out the number one thing that determines how productive any employee is, how engaged any employee is, their level of retention or turnover, the number one thing, what how much do they feel cared for by their immediate supervisor? Cared for. Now, if there was ever a soft and fuzzy metric, that would be it, right? <laughs> oh, I feel, but it's true. I mean, it is. You know, everyone's mom and grandma probably told you people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so putting people before task is, means that you actually see the person as a whole person. And that is the priority first. So, for example... If, I mean, a good example is the fact that we're all dealing with a global health crisis of coronavirus. And so if someone is ill, whether it's from coronavirus or anything else, it's like, oh, health comes first, as opposed to, well, why aren't you here? We have a deadline. To, you know, so is it what, you know, it's just treating people with that baseline level of respect. Because when people feel cared for, they're going to give so much more of their discretionary effort than they would otherwise. And let's face it, we all can smell it out when it's fake. We can all, we all know what it's like when we just feel like we're just putting in the time, working for someone we hate. It's amazing how many people would be thrilled to leave their jobs because leaders aren't very good at this stuff in general. You know, overall, only about 23% of people think their leaders are effective. So it starts by, and the reason that is because most people are people who are in leadership roles get sucked into the pressure of the task, the deadline. If we don't deliver, what's going to happen? Which means their reticular activating system is now seeing everybody instead of as people, they're seeing us as I call them task getter dunners. Like, Casey, <laughs> you're a task getter dunner. Like, when's this done? Like, why aren't you done with this? Here's this. We're not tracking this. You know, it's so interesting. You know, if you think about part of this is cultural. If you go to any monthly operations meeting of any business, you probably have one at VIP, Casey. What's the first thing that most teams talk about when they have your kind of monthly review? Or what's the first thing y'all talk about? How, how many deals do we close? 
deals we close, we look at the numbers, right? Yep. We're looking at our sales, our targets, our revenue, our earnings before taxes, depreciation, all that. We look at that. We look at the numbers, and then the next thing we might look at are big projects. And then if we have some time left, we talk about the people. Now, here's a radical concept, and I'd love to take credit for inventing this, but I can't. And in fact, if you want to learn more about this, my colleague Hubert Jolie just wrote a book called The Heart of Business. He was the former CEO of Best Buy. Oh. And he turned around Best Buy, and part of his whole take on this is what if you flipped that model in his so in his meetings yeah i mean they're running a, a multi-billion dollar company but when the management meeting would come together the first thing they talk about was the people <laughs> they said, we'll get to the numbers but we don't focus on the numbers first because what they realize is the numbers don't hit themselves the numbers are only rear view indicators of the behavior of the people so they spend most of the time on the people then the projects and then the numbers but most of us don't do that because We've never done it that way. Mm -hmm. ah, again, so many of us are living out the legacy of the industrial age, but we're not working with a group of factory workers who are just doing mindless repetitive tasks every day for 20 years. We are working with digital knowledge workers and we have to figure out how can we support them to do their best work. And I think that's beautiful. And I just wanted to kind of bring up, and I think I've mentioned this before, I think this pandemic has really, you know, exposed companies' true natures, you know, how they responded to their people during this time for whatever reason. And, you know, and I'll just give you an example. There's the company that I know of that they ended up cutting everybody's salary in half during the pandemic, except the sea levels. Sea levels kept their full salary. And Oops. they, up to that point, they'd had really great tenure within their departments, mass exodus during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. And that's oh, yeah. when unemployment was super high and people were still leaving. Yeah, and we're gonna, I've been, I'm sure you've been talking about this with some of your colleagues too. We are gonna continue to see a mass exodus because also people are reprioritizing. They're going, you know what? We tightened our belts and we got through like all those things that I thought I needed, all those bells mm -hmm. and whistles and distractions maybe they're not as important as actually spending good time with my family. Yeah. And so people are prioritizing like is and, and people are starting to realize, yeah, I might be earning this, but is that worth X amount of hours of my life energy for this? And they're making trade-offs. And let's thank you millennials and thank you Gen Z because they're the ones who really brought this into the workforce. Mm -hmm. They were the ones who refused to play by the old just shut up, grin and bear it and just like put in your pay your dues and put in your time for 20 years. When, when pretty much every industry had to stop and go, oh my gosh, we have to rethink how we treat people at work because they wouldn't stand for it. They said, dude, this job is not worth it. I'll move back in with my parents back into the basement. I'm 26, I don't care. And they did, yep. right? Because so they were willing to do that. Whereas people of my generation weren't, I mean, that wasn't the norm. So we have to realize, and I was just talking to a company that works in the construction industry. I mean, very middle America, kind of very kind of salt of the blue collar work. And they are having a hard time keeping people. And they realize that if they don't treat people with a level of respect, that they're going to leave. They're going to jump ship and go to the competitors across town. So mm -hmm. this is a challenging time to be a leader. And it's also an exciting time because if you can do this well, you're going to get a level of loyalty and retention that will be the envy of your industry. You know, and not to brag on VIP, the company that I work with. Oh, go ahead and brag. <laughs> but, you know, we've done amazingly well and hired through the pandemic and we're recruiters unemployment was at an all-time high and we're hiring and that's just and you know they took very good care of us during the pandemic did a lot of activities to keep us you know because we're 
extroverted people. We need to be around people. Salespeople are. And so, but they did a lot of things like via Zoom and stuff like that to keep us all, you know, integrated. And, but just even more than that, they absolutely let us know they care every single day, you know, just in the little things and just by hearing us when we have ideas, like for this podcast, you know, took an open mind for that. It's amazing. I mean, here's the thing, you know, people think, oh, if I care for my people, they're going to take advantage of me. I mean, that is such an old school mentality. It's like, no, if I care for my people, they're going to do well. I mean, it's the old thing they used to say, like, what if we train our people and they leave? And the flip side was like, what if we don't? And, and they, they stay. stay. <laughs> <laughs> so. that, I, I'd forgotten about that one. So yeah. what other advice can you give our job seekers to help them approach their job search? feeling confident and prepared. You know, here's a piece of feedback that is, I think, useful for you in your job search. And in general, you can do this too, which is, okay, so you're preparing for your job search. You want to be the best candidate you can be. Mm -hmm. Humans are notoriously bad at self-awareness. Like you may think you know yourself pretty well. I highly recommend anyone, and this is outside of the job search as well, is get feedback from people around you mm -hmm. and people you work with in the past. What do they see as your strengths? What do they see as areas that could use some improvement? and get more than just what your mom thinks, right? Because your mom's gonna tell you you're wonderful, hopefully. Um, so you really wanna get a good sample size from different people who've worked with you in different situations. So you really have a better understanding of that because you know, so much of how we show up, it isn't about what we intend, it's how we're being perceived. So I highly recommend seek out other people's feedback and then when they give it to you, just say thank you. And if it feels like it's just some one weird outlier, just park it, put a little asterisk. But when you get five or six or seven or 10 people all saying the same thing, you may need to go, hmm, 10 against one, maybe they have a point here, right? So yeah. you stop weighing your own evidence so highly. So definitely go out and seek feedback from others. That's a huge thing that can help you. That is beautiful. You know, believe it or not, we are almost out of time. No, say it ain't so. <laughs> Um, yeah, it just, it flies by these conversations go so quickly, but I definitely saved some time to ask you our VIP questions. Great. Are you ready? Bring them on. Okay. Them on. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? Okay. Well, this is kind of maybe a default punt answer, but I'm going to think three people I would take with me. It's my wife and my two kids. Oh, isn't that sweet? Because we get on really well. Like, I've worked really hard. I mean, you know, all my work stuff. We haven't talked about personal life and family. I love my wife and kids. <laughs> and I've worked hard to create a family that I actually want to be a part of. So if I'm going to Mars, they're coming with. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> Lucky. Now, you said you have two daughters? I have a son and a daughter. A son and a daughter. She's 17 and my daughter's 14. Oh, well, they're lucky to have you as a dad. So. I'd like to think so. <laughs> All right, so my next question, probably my favorite question. Well, they're all my favorite questions, but I really like this one. What is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Great. A couple, I do a couple things in the morning. Um, first of all, for, I, the night before, I have written out my calendar for the day. So one of the things I do is I come and I look at my calendar and I actually visualize and set an intention for mm. what's the energy I want to embody as I go through. Like if I see like I'm having a pod, like today, earlier today, I led a webinar. I had a coaching client this morning, so I thought about, and they're different energies, right? I did a webinar for 100 people, 45 minute kind of presentation. 
different energy from the podcast, different from coaching. I just try to imagine that. I imagine the people that I'm going to be with. So I do all of that. And another thing I do is I have a meditation practice. Now, pick what you want. But for me, I just like getting myself centered and focused, really helpful. So there's a couple things I do in the mornings. I, I love that you do those things and that you write down your schedule because I am like a huge proponent of writing down your schedule, not putting it on your, I mean, you can have it in your digitally, but magic happens when you write it down. You're going to laugh here because I've got my calendar here and my, I was actually working with the Franklin Covey people. This is a Franklin day planner. Uh -huh. I, I can, okay. This is okay. And I showed this to a, I was on the uh, Franklin Covey on leadership podcast. Like, Oh, put that away. What year is that from? <laughs> 1995. <gasps> like I have digital calendars and I still do all my stuff yep. with Calendly and stuff, but there's something about the act of writing things down and having this, it just helps. And there's studies on this about the synapses in the brain and how mm -hmm. it helps. So yeah, being able to write things down. I can't, I, if you took this away from me, oh, I would be wigged out. Be, I be completely, my journal goes with me everywhere, everywhere, because I have to have it, because I never know when I'm going to need to make notes or refer back to my to-do list that I've already forgotten, you know, all that good exactly. stuff. So, exactly. um, okay, so my final question, if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Hmm, uh, news headline? Walk to talk. Ooh, I like yeah. that one. Look, I'm the field that I'm in. Like, it's all about trust. And my favorite quote of all time comes from Albert Schweitzer. He said, "Example is not the main thing in influencing others; it's the only thing." Ooh. I mean, so at the end of the day, like, what I tell you is easy. It's how do I live my life? I, I feel like I have to live these principles in order to earn the right to actually call myself a teacher or a thought leader or whatever. So. Yeah, it's walk the talk. Love it. That is so good. So good. How do people find you? Great. Uh, easiest place to find me is all things Alain Hunkins, www.alainhunkins.com. You can learn all about the work that I do, which is either with individuals and or teams and or organizations, helping people to grow their leadership and influence skills. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. That is my social platform of choice. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. You've been so generous with us and so generous with your knowledge. I really just cannot tell you how much I appreciate you. Casey, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. I can't believe how quickly the time flew by. It's really been a, a fun time. Thank you. Absolutely. And one last thing, Alain, you yes. are a VIP. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.